My name is Dorothy, and today Greg and I have the pleasure of meeting with Assemblymember Dr. Corey Jackson. We know you're a busy man, so we're gonna jump right into it. What was your motivation behind seeking an elected position? Well, I believe that once we got out of the pandemic, um, we began to see so much harm that the pandemic caused. And we began to see so many big crises happening in California whether it's the homelessness crisis, uh, whether it's um, the mental health crisis, um, homelessness, uh, childcare. We saw so many crises that I believe that it was the right time to making sure that if big things needed to be done, I wanted to be able to be a part of those solutions. So um, it's been three years since Riverside County Board of Supervisors declared racism a public health crisis. Mm -hmm. How did you play a crucial role and how was the social climate during that time? And what was the impact this resolution had on the community? Well, I think the most important part was is that uh, declaring racism a public health crisis actually began in the onset of the pandemic, where we began to see some gross disparities happening. Who was most likely to die and why? And it was during that time, I believe some of the first numbers came out of the South, came out of places like Louisiana, came out of places like Chicago, where we began to see that disproportionately African-Americans were dying um, at a higher rate. And, and we knew the reasons why, less likely to have time off in terms of paid time off, most likely to be in more enclosed spaces um, in terms of housing. Right. And so when we began to see those disparities, we began to. And when I say we, I meant community based organizations, particularly African-American led organizations. Um, and my work was primarily through the Riverside NAACP to begin to go to the county board of supervisors to say these disparities are happening and it can only be um, uh, it can only be traced to issues of systemic racism. Right. That began the conversation. Then George Floyd happened, which took things to a whole nother level. And then we began to continue to, to uh, beat the drum. And then places like Virginia um, and other states actually began declaring racism. Counties began declaring racism as a public health crisis. And so we began drafting um, a resolution so that the Board of Supervisors will be able to adopt it. And it was through much conversations, a lot of education, uh, that it was unanimously adopted uh, in Riverside County. The problem was that counties began to say, or even municipalities uh, began to say, yes, we adopted this resolutions. And then we start to say, okay, superintendent, city manager, county executive, now implement it. And overwhelmingly, they said, we don't know what the hell to do with this. this. This is uncharted territory. How do we now make this resolution come to life? And I think now we're in that gap that we're trying to fill. How do we actually turn those resolutions into systemic action? Um, and that's why I came out with a series of bills to help to fill in that gap, because now we've seen a lot of pilots taking place around the nation that are actually beginning to so show some uh, good outcomes. 
So speaking of some of the bills, um, in recent years, we've seen an increase in the banning of books, even here within the county, um, that cover topics such as racism, sexuality, gender, history. Mm -hmm. um, however, September 25th, Assembly Bill 1078 was signed to end the ban. What was your motivation behind writing this bill? Well, it was really, um, you started to see it over a year ago, um, where um, uh, elements of our society began to really push uh, to ignite culture wars throughout this nation. And the best way to ignite a culture war is to be able to target our historically marginalized and oppressed populations throughout history. And um, when the, we start to see that on the East Coast and in the South, I just knew it was a matter of time before it would come to California. And so I had introduced 1078 in January. It wasn't until July, August that people realized the bill actually existed. And it just ended up being perfect timing. Um, but I think overall it was a statement for California to make uh, that we are not going to allow the dismantlement of our principles of humanity, of civil rights, um, and of human dignity. Uh, we're not gonna allow this to happen on our watch. And no matter what you try to call it, no matter what you rationale you give it, um, when you go after people based upon a protected class that is legally protected, um, we're going to do whatever we need to do to making sure that that stopped in its tracks. Um, and I'm just proud that we were able to do it um, in such a, a great way uh, that I think will show and will uh, show that we met this moment in history and that we were able to make sure uh, that we upheld our sacred responsibility of holding the line for future generations. You know, and just to kind of touch more on assembly bills, uh, can you tell us more about the assembly bill 1079, the motivation on writing, uh, writing that behind that? And then also, uh, what are the, what do you hope to accomplish with it? 1078 was about something that was just current and happening. Uh, 1079 was about if racism is systemic, anti-racism, anti-hate, and anti-xenophobic must also be systemic. And so 1079 begins to embed um, proactive anti-racist, anti-hate, anti-xenophobic practices within the very structures of the state. So now it's not about whether someone has a good idea or they're gonna pick up the mantle. The state just automatically does it now because it's just now what the state does. Um, and so it doesn't have to take organizing and a whole nother movement to be created in order to do these things. Um, and it's really modeled after what the United States, uh, United States did after World War II when they wanted to prevent um, the dehumanization what happened to, during the Holocaust and all those things, 
they actually, right now, back then it was called the Department of War. And if you Google it, you can see commercials that they played in movie theaters and on TV about preventing people from targeting other people in society. And so I said, well, why can't we go back to that time where the government took responsibility for fighting against hate, right? Engaging and changing the narrative. And how can we now make sure that it actually happens in California? We remember the commercials. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Love is love, right? Those were iconic. Only you can prevent forest fires, right? All of those were iconic messages, right? That we remember growing up and it was sponsored by the state or sponsored by uh, the federal government. So how do we make sure that we can do that now in California? Uh, because these things are happening over and over and over again. So 1079 is about um, institutionalizing uh, these uh, really best practices. Um, along those lines, California is the first state to tackle reparations for their black residents. Mm. What is your stance on this legislative movement? Well, as a member of the Legislative Black Caucus, um, we literally had a almost like a ceremony where the California Reparations Task Force um, handed over the recommendations to the Legislative Black Caucus uh, as a symbol that we've done our job, now it's time for you to do yours. And so I was a member of the Legislative Black Caucus and I'm actually a part of the subcommittee within the caucus to formulate and to organize what will be our inaugural reparations uh, legislative package next year in January. As a matter of fact, tonight we're gonna be finalizing which recommendations we're gonna start, we're gonna focus on for next year. And so there's no doubt uh, that um, generations are still being affected. Uh, whether you talk about you know, historical trauma, intergenerational trauma, uh, when you talk about the systemic things that has happened but has not been put together, put back together again. Um, in this city alone, in Riverside, there's places, there's still, there's communities where we know that African-Americans were not allowed to purchase homes. Um, and there's places in uh, this county where only black people could were allowed to live. And it just so happens that today those are still some of the most impoverished communities, uh, some of the mo communities that has the least amount of infrastructure, um, and some of the communities that have some of the lowest home, uh, home ownership rates, right? All of those things did not happen by happenstance they were done on purpose. And if those atrocities were done on purpose, the solutions must be done on purpose. And again, it wasn't just people doing these things. It was the very systems of government that were doing these things. And so I think this gives an opportunity to show the rest of the nation and indeed the world 
um, how we can go about doing this. Uh, that is way overdue. This nation tried to do it during Reconstruction, uh, but because of a compromise that Congress made, it only lasted for 12 years. Um, and so we're just trying to con uh, build generations later, we are trying to go about to complete this work. As a assembly member, you serve on the California Mental Health uh, Crisis Committee, which is a fairly new committee. Uh, why now and what led to the need of this committee and what are the goals and initiatives? Well, I asked the speaker to create the Select Committee on California's Mental Health Crisis that I chair um, because we knew that mental health was uh, indeed in crisis, in a crisis stage. The U.S. Surgeon General made it clear that mental health is a crisis in the nation and even more so amongst our children when it comes to mental health. So the collect, Select Committee was designed to first make sure that California admits we are not only in a housing crisis, we're not only in a homelessness crisis, we're not only in a, you know, addiction crisis, we are in fact in a mental health crisis. And begin to bring multiple experts together to find out what could we be doing to making sure that we meet the moment. And so we engaged in three hearings this year uh, to make sure that we collected all the information necessary. We have asked all of those people who testified during those three hearings to um, give us legislative ideas that we can introduce next year. And so you're going to see in January about five to 10 bills specifically to continue to move on the mental health crisis. Of course, we did a lot of work this year um, with the Mental Health Services Act reform work. Voters will be in November, will have to vote on some of the remaining things that only they can approve uh, to continue the reform uh, measure. Um, but there's no doubt uh, that uh, the measure of success that I've given myself and I even hold my colleagues to um, is are we doing everything that we can to meet the moment? And are we, are we making sure that we're, not, that we're not allowing the idea of silos and this is how we've always done things as a reason why we're not doing something? If we're in a crisis, we must do like, we know what California can do when we think we're in a crisis. Look at what we did with COVID. We broke down every silo. We stepped on every toe. We did everything possible to making sure that we meet the moment. And so I'm saying that we need to do the same thing when it comes to mental health. What initiatives are you planning for 2024? And do you have a, a call to action for Riverside uh, County residents and public health? Wow, well, I think that uh, for 2024, there's still more work to be done. Um, we know that by the time the governor wrapped up finishing um, signing the bills uh, that we sent to his desk, um, a report came out that now uh, childhood, po childhood poverty has doubled uh, in this nation uh, because the federal government did not renew the child tax credit. Um, and so I will be making childhood poverty a central issue next year.
Um, I continue to work on issues on the school to prison pipeline. Um, we've seen some negligence when it comes to what's happening to our foster care children um, in this state. Um, and I will be rolling out a package to reform the foster care system. Um, and so whether it's mental health, the foster care system, childhood poverty, um, anti-racism, anti-hate, anti-xenophobia, um, and um, um, the whole host of in child care, you know, there's a lot to be done and I have, I'll have a little bit, I'll be doing a little bit of everything next year. So very busy year. We're looking very forward busy. to it. Yeah. Very busy year, yeah. It was a privilege having you here today, Assemblymember Dr. Corey Jackson. We look forward to uh, having you again in the near future. And thank you for spilling the tea with us on equity. My name's Greg, this is Dorothy, and please stay tuned to our next episode, Equity Podcast.